now it's <laughs> okay all right and it looks like everyone's gone that needs to be gone this is session six what keeps you from saying goodbye and we began last time with a breathing exercise and just four quick points of review in case you missed that one or you've slept too many times since then that happens right we inhale and exhale because we are living human beings, right? We worship. We are actually made to worship. And God tells us, he doesn't have to tell us to worship because he made us and he made us to worship. But he does give us clear instructions in his word of how to worship and who to worship. That he is the only one worthy of our worship. Just because things come natural doesn't mean they're easy. And fourth and last, we want to look at worship broader than just coming to church and singing. Worship is an act, an activity, but it's also a way of life. So hopefully that helps you catch back up. We ended with a question. What allows me to inhale deeply in the specific activity of worship, which then affords me the capacity to exhale in an overall way of living worship. The reason this question is so important, and I wanted you to think about it before you came today and heard it for the first time, is because we're talking about ways to know God. Because if I want to combat idolatry, I really believe that the one way to do that is to know God. Because to know God is to love God, right? To know him is to love him. So that's why we're talking about this today. Worship is actually one of the four ways we've talked about knowing God. The first we talked about was through his word, his written word, his living word, Jesus, through his Holy Spirit. And now the fourth and last one we're going to talk about is worship. So now we're all on the same page, whether you missed uh, one or two sessions or whatever, we're all together. And I'd like to start now with prayer. Father, thank you for your presence right here. Thank you for your desire to be known. And we come this morning wanting to know you more when we leave this place than what we know you even right now. We open our ears and our hearts and our minds to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here is what God has been teaching me in answering this question. And in a word, it would be authenticity. I've included several scriptures on your handout there that led me to this conclusion that they're, they're both from the Old Testament, the New Testament, and even according to Jesus, that this is an area of challenge. And you can look those up for further background information if you'd like. Perhaps it goes without saying, but authenticity is active versus passive, right? It's engaging versus mindless. John Ortberg says, mindlessness is one of the primary things that keeps us from worship. Do you know, I will never be guilty of mindlessly worshiping God. I'm going to say that again. I will never be guilty of mindlessly worshiping God. Do you know why? Because it's impossible. Oh, I might be mindlessly singing a chorus or mindlessly giving my offering or mindlessly praying. I may be mindlessly singing even a hymn, but, when, but then I'm not worshiping God, right? If I'm mindlessly doing it, I'm not worshiping God. 
So I speak the truth to you when I say I will never be guilty of mindlessly worshiping God. The number one sign, if you just heard one thing, one question that you're asking yourself, do I authentically worship God? The number one sign is if your mind is not engaged, then your heart is certainly not engaged. Does that make sense? So again, we're back to the mind. Does that sound familiar to us? Former lesson, our minds are so important. So my worship of God is to be authentic. Just there's, again, scriptures on your handout there. I'm just going to read one from the Old Testament and one from the New. Amos 5. I hate, all, this is God talking. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your hymns of praise. They're only noise to my ears. I will not listen to your music, no matter how lovely it is. Wow, he's, this is pretty strong, isn't it? Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, a river of righteous living that will never run dry. Was it to me you were bringing sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? No, your real interest was in your pagan gods. Now, just one from the New Testament in Matthew, and I just want you to focus on this and listen while I read this. This is Jesus speaking. Everything you do is for show. On your arms, you wear wide, extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and you wear extra-long tassels on your robes. Hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest part of your income, but you ignore the important things of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things. Hypocrites, you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup, and then the outside will become clean too. So there's obviously a potential problem with authenticity, wouldn't you say? That's just a sample, and again, there's more on your handout. So how do we authentically worship God? And again, these are some things God has been teaching me. Whether worship is public or private, authentic worship is personal. Whether worship is public or private, authentic worship is personal. And on this week's handout, I did actually not just give you the reference. I gave you the scripture itself, so I'm just going to read a few of these. Psalm 35, I will thank you in front of the entire congregation I will praise you before all the people. So see, that's public, right? Then let's skip to 1 Chronicles 13.8. David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, singing and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. 1 Chronicles 16. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering. That's a form of worship. And come to worship him. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. And then one more, John 4. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is Jesus speaking. And when Jesus says we must worship in spirit, worship God, it's the human spirit. It's what, God, what Paul calls later our heart. Worship is not just to be an external act, right? True worship must come from the heart and reflect a sincere attitude and a desire. Stephen Charmock, he's a, um, an English Puritan Presbyterian, and I love reading the Puritans. They have such a wonderful way with words. It, my southern accent never does 
it justice when I read it aloud, so I apologize for that. But this is what he says. Without the heart, it is not worship. It's a stage play and acting a part without being that person really which is acted by us. A hypocrite, in the notion of the word, is a stage player. We may be truly said to worship God, though we lack perfection, but we cannot be said to worship him if we lack sincerity. Romans 12, 1 talks about uh, giving our bodies to God and letting them be a living and holy sacrifice. And then Romans six thirteen tells us to give ourselves completely to God since you have been given new life. Several years ago, Catherine was uh, in kindergarten and Rebecca was in fifth grade. And there was a lady hosting a weekend retreat about an hour from here. And she called and asked if uh, the girls would be willing to do a skit. Her Saturday night message was going to be on heaven. And she wanted, her vision was two little girls sitting on a porch swing up on the stage and they were going to introduce her message. And then she wanted Rebecca to sing, I Can Only Imagine. And uh, so I asked the girls, and of course, you know, they were totally up for it. Becca's like, is she going to sing with me? I'm like, no, you get the solo. So she's like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> so that, that, that's, it, it was a, a, there were about a thousand women. It wasn't four kids, but because they had to be there, they were there. And Ken had brought them, the, I was there for the whole retreat, and Ken came and dropped them off. So they sat with me on the front row and heard these thousand women worshiping. And at one point, Catherine leaned over and said, they're just speaking out. I said, yeah, they are. And Becca said, they clap better than we do. I said, I know, right? They do. You know, they, they just had a better clap and everything. And so then they go up on stage. They do their thing. They come back down. She... Um, the main speaker gave her message and at the end of it that was back when the song we will dance do you know that song we will dance on streets that are gold in every tribe and tongue and nation well she had the joffrey ballet up on stage dancing she had all of the flags of every nation come parade in with uh people in gowns so like, like choir robes and so it, it was a big deal well everyone just stood out of awe so we're all standing and Catherine in her little five-year-old self looks up at me and says can I dance well the Joffrey Ballet's dancing the song's about dancing we're standing and I'm thinking nobody can see her she's the shortest one in the room and we're on the front row so I'm thinking you know so I said sure you know so it was Rebecca me Catherine and a famous singer, and I'm not trying to drop names, so we're just going to call her a famous singer, was wrought by Catherine. So Catherine starts dancing. And y'all met Catherine last week, and actually she's still a dancer. She's working on her doctorate. She's going to be the only doctor that comes dancing into the room. We're going to see her dance this weekend is her big performance. So she's dancing, and the song is getting bigger. We're modulating and everything, and as the song's getting bigger, so is her dance. And she steps on the famous singer's toe. Now, the famous singer has her eyes closed. But, of course, when somebody steps on your toe, you open your eyes. So she opens her eyes and looks at Catherine and just smiles. She, she does her hands like this. She just smiles. I'm like, I can't wait. So I move Catherine over a little bit. And Catherine keeps it under control for a little bit. But, again, you know, the Joffrey ballerinas are, like, leaping. So she's getting into it bigger, bigger. Three times she steps on her toe. 
So I, you know, I continue to move, you know, so I try to put her over here. So finally the song is over. Needless to say, I was not worshiping during, I was probably the only one in the room that did not get the full benefit of worship. And so the closing prayer is said, and I, I'm like, I, I had my plan, you know, the whole, I'm just going to have to apologize to her. I'm just going to have to say, I'm sorry. And right when it was over, Catherine darted off. I'm like, oh, oh. So I go to follow her. I should have known there was a man that uh, was one of her speakers for that evening that was in a wheelchair, an elderly man. He had Lou Gehrig's disease. And you just have to know Catherine. She went straight for him. And so I'm like, okay, well, there's a five-year-old loose in the room, you know, and, and what's she going to say to the guy in the wheelchair? So now I'm like, I better follow Catherine. I'll come back and apologize to famous singer later. So I'll go over to where Catherine is. She's just standing there holding his hand, patting his hand. So I'm like, okay. And well, the, so now I'm like, okay, well, I think she's set with man in the wheelchair. I'm going to go back to famous singer. And I look, and now everybody has swarmed famous singer. So I'm like, okay, I'm... So Ken takes the girls home, and I'm like, okay, the next morning was a Sunday morning, and it was the wrap-up worship service of the retreat, but she had a breakfast for, I was a little speaker at this retreat, so she had a breakfast for the little speaker, her as the big speaker, and all the musicians, so there was the famous lady, so I'm like, okay, just suck it up and throw yourself, you know, down. So I walked in, there she was, and I said, I, I, I didn't even get my breakfast. I just went up straight to her, and I said, I owe you an apology. And she said, what for? And I said, I know that my daughter stepped on your toes at least three times last night during the song, and it was my fault. I told her she could dance. And she said, oh, no, it was beautiful. And then the lady who was leading the music for the whole retreat said, oh, the sister just needs a box. And I'm like, you know how when somebody says something and you're like supposed to get it and you don't get it and my face clearly was like <laughs> and she said you don't know what I mean do you I said no I don't know that phrase and I wrote it down in Catherine's book so that I would never forget it she said the sister needed a box when a sister needs the time and space to do business with God her sisters gather around her and clasp arms boxing her in giving her a safe place to be with Jesus and I thought, I, I've got goosebumps even now thinking of that memory. I thought, Lord Jesus, that's what I need. I need a box. I need to make the time and space for my spirit to do business with God, to be with Jesus, to praise him, to worship him for who he is and what he does. Authentic worship is personal, even if it's public. You understand what I mean by that now? I'm also learning that authentic worshipers are prepared. Now, the second I say prepared, some of us go to like the list, like or Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, you know, always be prepared. I want us to shift our thinking a little bit on that and change it to expectation. Not as in a list, have I brought my Bible, have I none and none and none, like that, okay? I believe it was Max Lucado who, who compared those coming to church for the worship service with those on an airplane. And the second I read that in one of his books, and I'm sorry, I, I don't know which book it was. I do believe it was Max, but I got it because my brain went immediately to a time. This is our son, Taylor. He now has three children, but at this point, he was almost four. I know because I was pregnant with Rebecca 
and it was my spring break. I was teaching at the university down in Texas, and we were, Taylor and I were going to fly to Austin during my spring break to see mom and dad. And as we got on the plane, um, there was a backup in first class, and the cockpit door was open. So I showed Taylor, I said, that's the pilot and the co-pilot, and those are all the controls that fly the plane. So he's just, you know, looking back. And eventually, you know, it clears, so we go on back to our seat. And it wasn't just a few minutes before the flight attendant came and said, uh, would you like to meet the pilot? And Taylor looked at me. I'm like, yeah, sure, go ahead. So he leaves with the flight attendant, and eventually he comes back, and his eyes, his smile, he said, I met the pilot, and I got these wings. You know those plastic wings? They, so he spent the next, I don't know how many minutes of our flight telling me everything he said and what the pilot said and what he saw and what he got to do and what he got to touch and what he couldn't touch and na 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 Well, we eventually land. And this was back before 9-11, so, you know, you could go right to the gate to meet your party. Remember those days? So when we came out, there was mom and dad standing there. Now, everybody, we were all on the same plane, people. We all had the same turbulence. We all had the same service. We all, we were on the same plane. Now, some of us were reading. Some of us were talking. Some of us were listening to a four-year-old. Other people were sleeping. But we're all on the same plane. And mom asked the inevitable question, how was your flight? Now, you can answer that. You know, some people do it by the time. It was on time. We were late. There was turbulence. You know, there's a million ways to answer it. I just answered fine. At the same moment that I said fine, Taylor had gotten up into dad's arms. And so my dad was holding Taylor. And ta when I said fine, Taylor said, I met the pilot and I got these wings. And it was another moment where I went and wrote that in his book because God taught me this huge lesson. I was on the plane. He met the pilot and got the wings. That's what I mean by being prepared to worship, the anticipation of meeting the pilot, of meeting God, not just of worshiping. What am I expecting, anticipating when I come to worship? Nice, which might mean non-offensive sermon, saw some friends, was left alone. You know, some people want to come just be left alone. Good music, entertainment, fed well, good coffee. Or do I come anticipating to meet God? I want to come asking, even as I walk through the door, can I meet the pilot today? Right? That's what I mean. Psalm 95, 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Authentic worship changes the perception and perspective of the worshiper. Authentic worship changes the perception and perspective of the worshiper. Psalm 34 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. This, can you see what this is? It reminds me of Romper Room. What was her name? Remember when she would sing she never said the word name Rhonda. Yes, Miss Francis, and she would. So this, yeah, she never said Rhonda. But I'm okay still today. So this is a magnifying glass for those of you who can't see back there. It's not a mirror. And when I look at this shell through the magnifying glass, does the shell get bigger? No. The shell 
the shell is the shell is the shell is the shell. The shell's this big. But something happens when I look through the magnifying glass. The shell is bigger in my eyes, right? This is what I'm talking about. This is what worship does for us with God. As I look through the magnifying glass, my perception and my perspective changes. I can't help but think of the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. You know that one? Look full in his marvelous face, wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When I see God through the lens of worship, and you can think they're broad, whatever that Whatever worship is for you. Is it contemporary music? Is it the courses? Is it traditional music? Is it no words at all? Is it the organ playing? It doesn't matter. Worship can be so many things. But when I see God through the lens of worship, my view of him is clearer. It is as though I am moving closer to this very big God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. John Ortberg says, So how can I change my perspective? How can I live in a way that reflects the fact that I follow a God who is so big? There is a word for the process by which human beings come to perceive and declare the vastness, worthiness, and strength of God. It is called worship. So again, in worship, we use every tool at our disposal. And again, think even more than music. Your offering is worship. You realize that, right? There's so much that is worship. Think bigger. My perception of reality changes and sharpens because I see God as real as what God is. All right. In worship, in, in Greek, it, this, I found this so interesting. I never knew this before. The prefix for the word is mega, meaning large. And in worship, I remember again that we worship the great God, right? The mega God, the Lord of Lords. Worship enlarges my capacity to experience and know God. And C.S. Lewis is Prince Caspian. One of the children comes back, um, comes upon Aslan, and Aslan is the Christ figure in the Narnia series. And after a prolonged absence, this is their conversation. Aslan, you're bigger, she says. That's because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are? I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. So worship is the act of magnifying God, magnifying God. We'll also see not only God more clear, we'll see our circumstance more clear, and we will also see others more clearly. We'll see opportunities to minister. We'll see people through his eyes. A.W. Tozer in Whatever Happened to Worship says, God wants, us to cult- wants to cultivate within us the adoration and admiration of which he is worthy. He wants us to be astonished at the inconceivable elevation and magnitude and splendor of Almighty God. Remember the breathing exercise we did. What comes after inhaling? Exhaling. Remember the two acts of worship, the act and then the way of life. N.T. Wright says, You see, what you believe about God makes a difference to the way you respond to this God and at the same time to the way you are in the world. John Ortberg agrees with this, saying, I strongly believe that the way we live is a consequence of the size of our God. 
The problem many of us have is that our God is too small. We are not convinced that we are absolutely safe in the hands of a fully competent, all-knowing, ever-present God. There's a lot of words maybe you've written. Do you notice a, a theme in the words that you've written down in your notes so far? What letter do they start with? P. Yes, P. So I don't know if my head was just on a lot of P words, but I thought immediately of Pilates. How many Pilates people do we have in here? Okay, so there's an exercise in Pilates called the hundreds. You know what I'm talking about? So you lay on your back and you engage your core and then you, uh, you flutter your hands like this and, and then you breathe. And I want us to do just a modified, and we're not going to all like get on the floor. We might not get up. <laughs> so we're just going to sit here and, and do this. And what I want you to do, listen carefully, I want you to breathe out five short breaths. Go. Okay, now I want you to do it again, but this time, first, I want you to inhale five short breaths and then exhale five short breaths. Ready? Inhale. Was that much easier to do? Why? Because you inhaled first. Do you see, if you try to do a life of, of worship without having the individual act of worship, it's much more difficult to sustain, right? And also, if I go, what has got to happen, right? Does this make sense to you? This is logical, right? Okay, so there's another P word. You can just write it in the side, Pilates, and maybe you'll remember. <laughs> Stephen Chermock, again, our Puritan. Worship is nothing else but a rendering to God the honor that is due him. I cannot authentically worship God and worship idols. It would never work. You see why worship is so important? One of the best biblical descriptions of worship is Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, Almighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. But before I can do that, I have to understand something of the glory that is due him, right? And there's so many ways to do this. God's word is where I turn to first and foremost. This morning, I read one of my favorite passages in Isaiah 40. Um, just meditating on that brings you right, right in front of God, just right in front of him. There's other ones, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. That's what happened to Isaiah when he saw God. And then Daniel 4, 34 and 35. That's when King Nebuchadnezzar kind of gets a glimpse of who God is. Psalm 104 is in for further worship. I think I actually put Isaiah 40 because that's my favorite um, passage to worship with. I think that's in your for further worship also. Maybe it's music that brings you to worship more. I think of the hymn, O Worship the King. O Worship the King, all glorious above and gratefully sing. You know that hymn? So beautiful. Praise to the Lord. What about that hymn? Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. O oh, my soul, praise him, for he is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to his temple draw near. Join me in glad adoration. The last verse of that hymn, praise to the Lord. O oh, let all that is in me 
adore him. All that hath life and breath, come now with praises before him. Let the amen sound from his people again, gladly for I, we adore him. The so what now, what questions are on your hand out there for you to answer with you and God? Psalm 145 says, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. His greatness is beyond discovery. You see, his greatness is part of my worship adventure, right? It's beyond discovery. But in other words, the discovery of worship is an adventure in coming to know the one true God. We have three more sessions left together, and they'll all be spent in the DVD. So this is my last time with you up here. And I just want to encourage us as we're concluding our No Other Gods study. We've spent a lot of time and hard work identifying an idol or idols in our life. And I just want to make sure we don't stop with the elimination of the idols. Because um, that l actually leaves us in a dangerous a dangerous position. So I want to, you, in the Old Testament, the term was destroy the altar or tear down the Asherah poles in the Old Testament terms. Um, but I just want to leave us with the, what do we do next? If you remember from Tim Keller's book, the top 10 that I gave you, one of them was realize that idols cannot simply be removed. They must be replaced. If you only try to uproot them, they grow back, but they can be sup supplanted by God himself. So how do I replace idols? Idol elimination round. Do we have any um, American Idol watchers in here? Yeah. All right. So this is the idol elimination round. We looked at the scripture last time we were together, Colossians 3, right in the middle of that, verse 3, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ who is your life. Listen to this from Timothy Keller. Idolatry is not just a failure to obey God. It is a setting of the whole heart on something besides God. Set the mind and heart on things above where your life is hid with Christ in God. That's from the Colossians 3 passage. Appreciation, rejoicing, and resting in what Jesus has done for you. It entails joyful worship. Oh, look, whoa. A sense of God's reality in prayer. Jesus must become more beautiful to your imagination, more attractive to your heart than your idol. Hear that last part again. Jesus must become more beautiful to your imagination, more attractive to your heart than your idol. That is what will replace your counterfeit God. Any of the other little G gods that we have. To replace my false God with the one true God, or put it another way, to make sure that no false God encroaches on my one true God. I must know the one true God because to know him is to love him. And how can I know him more? This is a group test. Four ways that we, there's so many more, but four ways we've talked about. Tell me one. His word, his living word, his, his word as in the Bible. And then there's also his living word. There's prayer. What else is there? Worship, the Holy Spirit. We could see how much he's given to us to know him. We could keep sitting here talking about ways that we know him, but we must know him. I must press on to know him. Otherwise, I am vulnerable to all the other gods that there's so many we couldn't even name them. Psalm 95, I won't take the time to read it, but I hope you will today. Psalm 95, 1 through 7. The idol elimination round. 
how do we do this to help us do what Colossians 3 tells us to do? Psalm 95, Psalm 104, uh, read Psalm 104 more than once. Like read it, start it, Psalm 104, like Psalm 104, do something on your notes to make you look back at that. You can take a look at the throne in heaven. That's in Revelations chapter 4 and 5. That's a wonderful way to lead you right into worshiping God. Again, the great, you consider the greatness of God in Isaiah 40. Meditate on who he is. Focus on our great God. That is worship. Start with just these few passages, and then what you'll find happens is that second part of the Colossians 3 passage where we're told to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, it becomes a natural put to death because you are before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. If you find focusing on Christ as your life as a challenge, you are in good company. John Newton, he's a great pastor and a hymn writer. He wrote Amazing Grace, to name one of his many hymns that he wrote. And this is what he said. If I may speak my own experience, I find that to keep my eye simply on Christ as my peace and my life, that's from Colossians 3, Christ is your life, is by far the hardest part of my calling. It seems easier to to deny self in a thousand instances of outward conduct than in its ceaseless endeavors to act as a principle of righteousness and power. While understanding the love of God for me should be enough to compel me to worship the one true God and repel me from all the other gods, just in case we need um, any further pushing to do what God has told us to do, and we will see very clearly that it is for our own good because we're going to look at the consequences now of if I don't, if I don't get rid of these other gods, these other idols. What happens? The first, blindness to reality. Psalm 135. The idols of the nations are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. And those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. The next reality, distortion of thoughts and feelings. Romans 1. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Hatred of God. Hatred. Boy, that's a strong word. Jesus is the one who used it in Luke 16. Idolatry will lead me to hating, despising God. No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Then uh, the Pharisees, skip down to 14. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your heart. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. And the last one, this is so sad, Um, forfeiture of God's mercies. If I don't get rid of the gods in my life, I forfeit God's mercies. Jonah 2.8, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. Picture that. 
That's horrible. So this problem of idolatry, you know, it's not just an issue with the kings in the Old Testament and the Israelites. It's not even a problem just of the New Testament. It wasn't solved whenever Jesus came and gave his life for us and resurrected again. It's still alive today. It's alive right here on this stage if I am not vigilant to know God. Every human being must live for something. Something must capture our imaginations. We were made to worship by the one who deserves our worship. The idol results are clear and none of them are good. Did you hear anything good in that? Blindness, distortion, hatred, and forfeiture of God's mercies. So the question each one of us must answer for ourselves continually with the help and power of God. So what now what on your handout is the king of kings, the king of my heart. Do I love him more than anything or anyone else? How big is the gap? Do you remember us talking about the gap? How big is the gap? God will not share the throne of my heart. He will not do it. There's a, a song, Easter's Coming, and normally we only sing this song around Easter time, but it's when I survey the wondrous cross. You know that? And the last verse, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul my life, my all. I was meditating on that hymn and thinking that there is an astounding fact here. The God of the universe, the King of kings, Lord of lords, his love for me demands my soul, my life, my all, but he will not take it from me. That's amazing. He will not take it from me. I must give my soul, my life, my all to him who lovingly gave all for me if he is to be the king of me. We began with a question our first time together this semester, and I just want to leave it with you again. Let's say that you're married, and your husband's a pretty good guy. He brings flowers every now and then. Sometimes even for no occasion, he shows up with flowers, and he knows you like milk chocolate, not dark chocolate, so he gives you all the milk chocolate and all the boxes. And he, he's a good father, too, pretty, pretty good, shows up for all the kids' stuff. And he spends a lot of time with you, mo most of the time with you. But, and he just loves one other woman um, besides you. Uh, but he, he loves you. There's just one other woman. Are you good with that? Let's pray together. Lord, I want to be kept from anything, anything that might take your rightful place in my heart. Help me to guard my heart. And ladies, if you'd like me to join, to join me in prayer, you can look up and pray these psalms with me. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Amen. Ladies, I cannot thank you enough for letting me learn with you this semester. Maybe I'll get to be with you in the fall. Thank you. Y'all are dismissed.